ziplining today? Zipline? Yeah, they got a special two for one. The thing's gonna fall to the ground and we're gonna die. So if the two for one better be a two for one funeral package. Ah, uh, come on, it'll be fun. No. No, thank you. Okay. How about horseback riding at uh, up in Honokai? Horseback riding? Mm -hmm. Animals. Yeah. They stink. And they might throw me. No, thanks. Can we do something well, closer to home? It be a nice drive out and just be at a ranch. No, closer to home would be good. Okay, here's something about paddleboarding. You want to go paddleboarding? Um, I can't swim, remember? And sharks? No. Thanks. I'm well, just trying to get to the beach and have some fun or do something. No, there's just so much to do. Okay. Here, take a look at this. Do you see our names in here? The obituary. <laughs> We're alive. Yeah, that's what I mean. We got to be alive here. We got to get a life. All right. You know what? Let's go zip line. After you help me hang clothes on the clothesline. Promise? We go. <laughs> We need courage to truly live. Now, some of us would say, I don't want to live like that. I, I, I'm not an adventurous person. I, I like to play it safe. I don't want to do things that are dangerous. And then there's some people who would say, no, that's what I live for. I like the adrenaline rush. I want to live like that. But really, to live a life that God has designed for us takes courage because we don't know what he has planned for us. We can only see God's unveiled or unraveling of his plan for us as we live out our life from day to day. So take out your bulletin and then in there are some notes and you can follow along uh, as we continue in our series. Last week we talked about uh, no excuses and so we put a hashtag to it to see what you would post online. And I wanted to run through a couple of them because there were some good things. And uh, last week, so we put this on our Facebook and then uh, somebody put... Uh, one of the excuses is that I, I can't read the Bible, but that's just the excuse that they felt uh, is not a good excuse to use. Uh, and so we said post the best and worst excuse that you've heard, or, or I guess greatest excuses. And someone says to get up, get out, and be better, be the, be the better you. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone. And this is the quote, I don't have time is the grown-up version of the dog ate my homework. And it makes sense. And then uh, on our Instagram, it says, here's the excuses. It's too far. Or, cannot, because I'm old and slow. One other person said, it wasn't me. Or, we didn't plan it. I didn't get the memo. Or, we always say this, I never know. And this person put this, <laughs> go Hawks. No excuses there. Uh, this person had... My Devo buddy, this is Pastor Marsha and her friend Kat, go Niners, go Hawks. So they're going back and forth. But she put this, a friend's poor choice in teams is no excuse to unfriend them. <laughs> Next one, Hapa Honey 808, it says, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses only results. Also, you know all those things you've always wanted to do? You should do them. Uh, I want to just tag in, so long as it's legal and non-sinful. Okay, and this person put, uh, a quick workout is better than no workout. That's good. 
Bunny Correa put this, I don't swim in the ocean because there are sharks. Uh, no excuses. Pastor Marsha put, sorry, I'm late. I lost my keys again. And hashtag too much work was an excuse. Bunny Correa, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Uh, Tina, 91, excuse. She or he would never come to church and accept Jesus Christ. Truth, all things are possible with God. We are called to share his word, pray, and love like he loves. And then this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then you walk. If you can't walk, then you crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And those are the excuses that we've heard. But those are things that you and I can learn from because it's so true. We got to keep moving forward. And that's what it means to have the courage to truly live. That we're going to make mistakes. We have a past. Every single person has a past. Even the people who tell you your life is nothing or they put you down or they say uh, negative things about you, they have a past too. So instead of us just thinking about the things we did wrong, let's make some corrections, go back to God, and not fear making mistakes because that's usually why we don't truly live is because we think we're going to fail or we're going to make mistakes again and again and again. But the truth is, we will. If, you're, if you want to truly live, then you got to truly risk making some mistakes. I love this poem, and it goes like this. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And on the day he passed away, his insurance was denied. They claim that since he never truly lived, he never truly died. <laughs> Some of us never truly live because we fear of making mistakes. And so we kind of blend in with the world. We live a life of, of routine so that we're safe. And then by being safe, we never truly live. Some of us never truly live because we don't want to look foolish. We don't want to try something and fail and people say, see, I told you. I, I told you you couldn't. Or, or you'll hear the voices saying, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. There's no way possible they'll choose you. You'll hear these voices and then we stop right there because no one enjoys looking foolish. But that's the price that you must pay in order for you to truly live. We never want to look foolish, but that's a part of life. Sometimes when you truly want to live, you have to get over any fear you have of looking foolish or even making mistakes. It's just a part of life. Here's, here's the truth. The fact that Jesus died and that he's the one that paid the price for our sins is more important than the fact that we shall die. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead is the foundation for us to truly live. It's his death and his resurrection, not ours. It's rested solely on him. That's how we find the courage to truly live. It's found in Jesus Christ. There is no hope in ourselves. We don't have a history of salvation other than our salvation with Jesus Christ. We can't save ourselves. Many of us have tried. I've tried that. I've tried to live my life how I felt I should live it without God and only to find out that I need God to truly live. Otherwise, I'm going to exist. I'm going to do everything everybody else does. Have you ever 
uh, you know, met someone or seen someone that you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe years have gone by, and you ask them, hey, so how is it going? Well, what are you up to? Oh, same thing, so, you know, same, same. Well, for 20 years? Yeah, same, same. Really, n- nothing, nothing new. No, same old, same old. I'm thinking, is that the life God planned for us? That, that are, are, are we just existing and surviving, or are we truly living that when people look at our life, they're saying, wait a minute, you're different than the, rest of the, than, the, than the rest of the world. There's something different about your life. Not that you're, 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 you're a, a, a person who gloats about things or you're, you're, you're showing your accolades or your trophies and you're saying, look at my life. But there's something different about your life that stands out from the rest of the world. That people will say, wait a minute, it's, there's something different. It's not, it's, not, it's not who they are, but there's something that's in them. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about them. And we know who it is, that it's God himself. Because that's the only way we'll have the courage to truly live. One of the disciples, whose name is Peter, who followed Jesus Christ, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, went out into the world, into where they were in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and witnessed to people the things of God. And he was talking to people about Jesus Christ, that Christ died for your sins and was raised from the grave. And some people were skeptical, like today, you know, same thing. And, but people were being healed. And miraculous signs and wonders followed Peter and, and John, who was another disciple. And so people were wondering, what is happening? So people ran to Peter and John and they said, hey, tell us about this Jesus Christ. What is happening? Look at these miracles. And Peter said, you know, you're, you're wowed by the fact that these people are being healed, but it's not us. It's not our power. It's through Jesus Christ, the one that you guys killed. And now the people are like, wait a minute, hang on. We didn't do, what are you talking about? And Peter said, Jesus Christ came to give you life, but you guys put him on the cross. He was trying to tell you, this is how you truly live. It's through me, and you put him on the cross. But you know what? That didn't stop him because he died and rose again. He still lives today. You can't stop Christ. That's the whole point to truly living. When we understand that it's his death and his resurrection, and we're connected with that, it gives us all the freedom to live because it's in him. Peter continues in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, and it's in your notes. He says, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Peter is saying, we were there. We're not just hearing stories. We're not reading a book. We were there. That's why they penned these words. That's why we have the Bible today, because they were there. They're saying, we are eyewitnesses of what just took place. We're letting you know we were there. But the words that Peter said, that you killed the author of life, the author of life, In other words, he's designed life. The life that you and I live is designed. There's a design behind it. It's not just to live, exist, and survive. There's a master plan behind it. But we need the courage to truly live it. Because we live in a world that's temporary. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can all have the courage to truly live. Not just survive and exist, but truly live We're going to learn how to practice three biblical principles that unlock the door leading into the life that God designed for us. And and because we live in a temporary world, we, we think temporary thoughts. And we do. It's an automatic thing because we only see the temporary. 
But here's what he wants us to learn. And number one, write this in. Think eternal. You got to think eternal. This is where salvation comes in. Because when you seek God alone, that's where you gain happiness. That's where your joy comes in. It's not about your circumstances. Because we all know our circumstances change every day. But with God, he never changes. So when we seek him and only him, then our happiness or our joy is constant. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on his goodness. And it stays the same because he's the same. He never changes. And that's his promise. He has a life for us. You know, when we were teenagers or if you're a teenager, we would, we would only think that this is life. Life is now. Life is now. Friday night, party. Uh, this is life. Got to be with my friends. This is life. I got to connect with people. I got to Instagram. If I don't get on Facebook, if I don't connect with my friends, my life is over. And then when you get grounded as a teenager and things like that get taken away, my life is over. You ruined my life. Well, I, you just can't use your phone for a week. A whole week. All my friends are not going to like me anymore. It's all because of you. Slam the door. Life is over. We didn't have cell phones when we grew up. We just had a telephone. But even that, remember, you're grounded from the phone. No way. I cannot use the phone. No, you can't use the phone. My life is over. My life is over. Everybody's going to have fun. All you want to do is take away my fun. You don't want me to have any fun. Slam the door. Until they take off the door. You can't slam the door and you're just stuck. It's like that's what we felt. Life, life was now. That's what life was all about. And we look back at our life and the things that we used to think was life really wasn't. It was a part of life, but that wasn't, that wasn't everything to live for. It wasn't something to die for. It was, it was living, but it wasn't living the, that true life that God has for us. He says, you got to think eternal, otherwise you're going to get stuck in today. And you're going to get stuck with the mentality that you have, to, you have to live like everybody else. You have to blend in with the, with the rest of the world. That you, you, if, you, if you stand out of the crowd and if you're, if you're someone who follows God, that you're going to be ridiculed and then, and then labeled. And so we battle with, so do I want to identify with God or not? And then we never truly live because we don't have the courage which is given by God for us to live the life he designed for us. Think eternal because you're going to spend more of your life on that side of eternity than you will on this side. Let's just say you have 100 years. That's a great life to live. That's, that's a lot of years. But that's still a blink of an eye compared to eternity. When you think eternal temporary things don't bother you as much it really doesn't get you down because it's temporary but when you think eternal now you're putting your perspective in the hands of God see God says it like this in, in Ecclesiastes 3 11, the Bible says this it says yet God has made everything beautiful in it for its own time he has planted eternity where in the human heart but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Now, here's what we usually say. We say, follow your heart. The danger with that is your heart is not eternal. It's temporary. So when we say follow your heart, really what we're saying is follow temporary things. But if we think eternal, and now 
eternity is in our hearts, and we're thinking eternal, we're, we're connecting with the eternal God, when we say follow our hearts, really what we're saying is follow God. Because he put eternity there. And if we're thinking eternal, we're thinking of the things of God, then now we're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. That's really what it means to think eternal. Because he's an eternal God. Therefore, we can be courageous to live the life that he has promised us. It's going to take that courage. We all have fears. And because our perspective is not for this life, but for eternity, then those fears slowly start to subside because his perfect love casts out all those fears. It, it, it changes our perspective when we think eternal. You know, when, when, when you're in traffic, you know, some of us live out uh, Hawaiian Paradise Park or, you know, Puna side, and you got to go through the, the traffic because they're, you know, rebuilding the road and, and sometimes there's an accident or something. Uh, sometimes we would go home and instead of taking, you know, 25 minutes or a half an hour, it'll take 45 minutes or sometimes even an hour. And if you're not thinking eternal and you're thinking temporary, you're going to be frustrated because you're going to be sitting in traffic, traffic, traffic. Oh, man, oh, oh, somebody got into an accident. What happened? What happened? What happened? And so now you're frustrated and then somebody cuts you off. Now you're even more frustrated at them. So now you have road rage and so now you get arrested and now you're in jail. Why? Because at traffic, because you're thinking temporary. You'd be set free if you're thinking eternal. So you change your perspective and I, I had to go through all of that. When I change my perspective, this is what my perspective is now. Thank God I have this time to spend with him. I have a good 45 minutes to spend with him, put on some worship music, listen to a, an audio book or a podcast, uh, a leadership lesson, something. And utilize that time to think eternal. And I'm still investing my time wisely with you, Lord. What can I, what can I learn from you right now? And, and when you change your perspective, everything else changes. That's only if you think eternal. We're temporary beings, so we're automatically going to think temporary. And so when you feel fearful of truly living, then you find that root. Find out why. What's, what's the fear? What is the problem? What's the root of that problem? What, what, what do you, why do you feel like that? Find the root and then change your perspective. Why do I feel like how I feel in traffic? Well, because I'm taking long. Well, what are you going to do with the time you have now? Oh, I can utilize it in another way. Change your perspective. Oh, my family is not doing well. Well, why? What is the root? Go back to the root. Change your perspective. Well, you know, my kids, my, my, my son is like this, you know, he, he, he just does his own thing and he's off doing whatever it is and, and you know, going into drugs and, and, you know, he's a good leader, but he's not making wise decisions. Change your perspective. He may not be making wise decisions now, but that decision-making process that they have, once the Lord changes that, they'll be the best leaders. They'll be the best because it's in them. They're just not following God. And you pray for them. You change your perspective. Oh, my son or daughter, oh man, their attitude, their attitude. They just, they just, you know, they just do whatever they want to do. They do whatever. Okay, change your perspective. Change your perspective. Maybe we have to harness that energy somewhere. Maybe it's just helping them find what they're gifted and what they're good at, where their passion is. What is, what is, see, our perspective is going to be different. But if we change our perspective and say, God, I want to think eternal. What are you doing? It can, it can change things drastically so that we truly live and not just exist. 
it's gonna be in our perspective. Today we have water baptism and those of you who received Christ, that's your next step. And when you're water baptized, it changes your perspective on eternal things. Because now when you're water baptized, you're saying to your flesh and to everyone else, I'm dying to my old self, I'm coming up brand new. You're experiencing physically what you experienced spiritually. That there's a dying to old and a, a bringing up brand new. Some of you will receive Christ today. Your next step will be water baptism. And we, we talked about that earlier, that it's going to be at Coconut Island at 1.30. Now, some of you will be like me. I received Christ. I didn't get baptized until years later because I, I just didn't go. All the excuses came up until one day I got water baptized. And I experienced the same thing some of you will be experiencing but I've been a Christian for so long. I've been serving and what is so-and-so gonna say? What if people make fun of me? They're gonna say, well, now I get baptized. Yes, they will say that because they love you. They're your friends and they banter with you. But that, that gives me no reason to say that I'm not gonna go because the one reason why I should is because God said so. And you might be contemplating or debating or wondering. And if you're even, if, even if you have a glimpse of saying, I wanna be water baptized, that's all the reason you need to go. Then when you get there, if you start hesitating, just keep taking that step, that next step, that next step, and say, Lord, no, you said for me, this is what I'm gonna do. In fact, Jesus Christ said, this is right. We're gonna do this. And he said this to his cousin, John the Baptist. We're gonna do this because this is right. This is gonna fulfill all righteousness. And maybe that's what God is looking for in you to truly live. That you're saying to everybody else, I'm dying to my old self. I'm going to live for him. So water baptism is, is a change in perspective. Isaiah 43 verse 13, it says, from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. You know what God is saying? No one can undo you. No one can undo the person I made you to be. No one can undo that. No one can snatch you out of my hand. You're secure in me. That's the eternal perspective we have to have. There's a you that God is making to be better and better every single day. And no one can change that. There's a life that God has designed. And he says, it's the you I made you to be. And no one can take that away from you. So live. Yeah, but, and here's all the things that come up. You know, one of the biggest reasons why we don't have the courage to truly live is because we are not able to receive the courage from God because of this one word. You can write this in number two. Here's another key biblical principle. Forgive. Forgive. The moment we hear that word, say that word, read that word, it pierces something in our heart because someone comes up. An incident comes up. A thought comes up. And then we say, no, wasn't my fault. I'm not going to forgive. No way. See, the life we live here on this earth offer us many choices. That's why we make mistakes. That's why we hurt people. That's why we get hurt. There are so many options, so many choices. That's here on this earth. But when we get into eternity, we only have two choices. It's, it's either going to be eternity with God or eternal separation from God. We know it as hell. There's heaven and hell. Those are the two choices in eternity. And that's the reality. If you want to truly live, and if we're thinking eternal, then forgive. Because forgiveness 
is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. Yeah, but, you know, they don't deserve forgiveness. Neither did you and I. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. How do we deserve God's forgiveness? What do we do to earn God's forgiveness? He forgave us because he loved us. I want to read a story that Jesus gave. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. And I'll read it to us if you don't have your Bibles with you. Matthew chapter 18. And I'll read from verse 23. And Jesus gives this, uh, this, this parable, this story, to illustrate what it means to forgive and, and, and give us the picture of how we can forgive. In verse 23 of the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a small portion of what he actually owed his master. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, now listen to what he said, have patience with me and I will pay you all. He said the same thing. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, uh, what had been done, they were, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. See, Jesus gives this illustration because, and this story because Jesus understands the heart that he had for us. He says, this is the love that I have for you. I've, I'm, I'm a forgiving God. I forgave you all your debt of sin. It's your turn to do the same with someone else. Yeah, but they did this, did this, did this. I didn't say that they did what they did was right, and neither did Jesus. He's just saying, when you forgive someone else, that's only because you understand how much I've forgiven you. When you choose not to forgive someone else, that means you don't understand how much I've forgiven you. And he gives this story mainly for our sake that we're set free by forgiving others and at the same time asking for forgiveness because that's a hard thing to do. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. It's not something you just throw on and say, okay, I gotta forgive, I gotta forgive. No, it's a permanent attitude. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you are forgiven of your sins, 
and you claimed that and you begged him and you said, forgive me of my sins. I did this, I did that. And he did. Paid for it on the cross. Then how are we having a hard time forgiving someone else? So it's the attitude that you judge others that you yourself will be judged. Forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for you. We're the ones that are imprisoned and are tortured by unforgiveness and not giving forgiveness. We're the ones in pain. And sometimes we don't even know where it's coming from. Uh, we were in Costco, uh, Heidi and I, and we were shopping and Heidi's neck was sore and she's saying, oh, my neck is getting sore, my back, can you just kind of rub it out? And so we're walking and I'm trying to rub it out and she's just, you know, trying to work it out. And for a while, and she's saying, it's just so sore. And I'm thinking, so is mine. And I'm trying to rub it out. Now my elbow and my back is sore. So I'm, I'm trying to rub it out. And then she stops and she goes, I know what it is. It's you. And I thought she was going to say that, but she didn't. She said, I know what it is. I'm carrying my purse. And so she took off her, her bag and she put it in the wagon. She goes, ah, that is a lot better. It's a lot better. And I'm thinking, thank God. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I'm thinking, what's in your bag? But there's not much in her bag. It's not that heavy. But this is what I thought. Even when you carry something light over a long period of time, it's painful. It's painful. And you just adjust. You just keep adjusting it and you, you switch arms. You just adjust. But you're still, you're still carrying that which causes pain. Sin and unforgiveness doesn't cause pain. Carrying it does. That's why he says you got to be quick to forgive. With the forgiveness I've given to you, now you give that away. Otherwise, you blend in with the rest of the world. And you don't need courage to blend in with everybody else. But you do need courage to truly live. In the book of Matthew, Matthew 6, 14, it says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. See, unforgiveness keeps death alive. Unforgiveness puts your life to death. Forgiveness brings death to life. And it sets you free. Luke 17, 4, it says, Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. It's almost like Christ is pleading with us. You must forgive. You must forgive. And it's like, why must we forgive? It's like he's saying, because you weren't designed to carry unforgiveness. You weren't designed to carry that. I was designed to carry that. I so love the world that I died for their sins, for the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sin. I died so you could be set free. I carried the weight of sin and unforgiveness. I'm the one that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm the one that bore the cross. I carried your shame and guilt. I did that because I could. You weren't designed to carry unforgiveness. That's why your life is not where you want it to be or know it could be because you're still hanging on to unforgiveness. If you've ever experienced giving forgiveness, you understand the freedom that comes with it. 
And usually that's the biggest fear. You don't know what it's going to look like because you're thinking you're going to empower someone when you forgive them that, oh, yeah, you were wrong, I was right. It has nothing to do with right or wrong. It has everything to do with being free to truly live. Now, when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you have to trust them. So two different things. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. Forgiveness is given, and it can be a snap of a finger, I forgive. Trust takes time to rebuild. Forgiveness can be given. Trust needs to be rebuilt. But God says you can forgive. In Luke chapter 7, I want to read this story. Luke chapter 7, and you can turn there in your Bibles. If you were in Matthew, just flip over to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke. uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And you'll be right there. Uh, Luke chapter 7. This story is a a real uh, incident that took place. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And I'll read. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And when he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, when this woman came in, the normal custom, the Jewish custom, was when someone came into your home, the servant of the home would wash that person's feet because of the dusty streets. And then, of course, there's a lot of animal waste because the animals would be on the streets. So you're washing their feet Servant would do that. By the Pharisees not allowing their servant to wash Christ's feet was their way of saying, Christ, you are worthless. You're not even worth our servant washing your feet. You're below our servant. So when this woman came in with this expensive jar of perfume and saw that Jesus' feet was not washed, Her heart broke that you didn't even wash my Lord's feet. And she got down on her knees. And if we understand in those days, the women's hair, it was the glory of a woman. And even still today, I mean, how many of you guys would not miss your hair appointment, but dentist, okay. You'd be fine because it's the glory of the woman. She knelt down and unwrapped her glory and washed Christ's feet with her tears. When her tears fell on his feet, she could see how dusty his feet was. And she understood that these men treated Christ in that kind of way. And she wept. And as she continued to wash her feet and and what the Pharisee said, Jesus answered and said to him, to this Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. And he said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. And when 
they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them, forgave them both. Both of them, he forgave them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And in our notes, uh, Actually, this part is not in your notes, but he continues. You did not anoint my feet with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, he says in your notes, I tell you her sins, and they are many. They have been forgiven. So she who has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. When you understand how much you have been forgiven, we have no problem with giving forgiveness. But when we have a problem giving forgiveness, we don't understand how much God forgave us. We don't understand that concept, therefore we're still locked in our life, imprisoned by our own unforgiveness and never able to get that courage to truly live well, so what do we do then? How do we move on from that point? Here's your last point. You move into action. Yeah, but I don't know how to forgive. You move into action. But I, I am truly living. I'm having a wonderful life. But every time that person's name come up, every time I see so-and-so, every time uh, a person brings that name up or I see them, it just hits me again. Then there's something there. You got to move into action. You ask God for the courage to move into action. You ask him to give you that courage to forgive and to understand how much we've been forgiven, to dream once again, to live the life that he has designed for you. Maybe you, maybe you had a, a design for your life and it didn't turn out how you wanted it. Maybe you feel like you cannot live your life, the life that you always wanted to live or dreamed about because of the circumstances that you're in. Maybe family problems or you didn't plan on... on being a parent at this stage of your life or maybe your finances or the mistakes that you've made or you have trust issues or, or family problems and you're wondering, well, I don't think I can. I don't think I can truly live. And, but but you're, you know you can if certain things take place and those certain things are the things that you don't want to let go. That's where the action comes in. You, you put it into action and you trust that God is going to give you the courage thereafter. That it may, it, may, it may be at that exact time that you're moving into action that God says, here's the courage. And, you, and after it, you'll, you'll be thinking, why didn't I do that years ago? Why didn't I do that before? It's because God is the one who is who's going to give you that courage. And it needs to be because of him. Some of us in our marriages, we're thinking, boy, I don't, know, I don't know where we are in our marriage. I don't know if we can continue. This might be a dead end or it's a dead marriage. Or you're thinking, I don't want to get to that point. You know, we're doing okay now. I don't, I don't want to get to that point. Or you're thinking about getting married. Maybe you're engaged. They talked about the Art of Marriage Conference. It is a wonderful conference. It's a great way to help in your marriage. It's an action that you take to say, I'm serious about my marriage. I want us to, I want us to stay married. I want us to have a beautiful life together. 
or if you're going to be married, it's a great investment. It's just one of the actions we take. Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. It's only through Christ that we live and move and exist. And when something is alive, it moves. If you're alive, you move. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a tangible thing attached to us that shows that we're alive. We move. But we only live, move, exist, and breathe through Christ in truly living. We can exist. But to truly live, we need Christ. See, good thoughts and, and actions can never produce bad thoughts and bad actions or bad results. Just as bad thoughts and bad actions can never produce good results. It's like this. If I were to, if I were to plant an apple seed, what kind of fruit will we get from that? From an apple seed we get an? Ah, are you sure? Are you sure now on Banana. What if you wanted one banana? What if you're saying, I only have apple seeds, but oh, I'd love to have a banana patch. And you spread the apple seeds. doesn't matter what you believe in, it's going to be apples. What if you plant corn seeds and you're hoping for grapes? What are you going to get? You're going to get corn. If you're hoping for grapes from corn seeds, you're not gonna, it's not going to happen. You plant corn seeds, it's going to be corn. God has planted eternity in our hearts. We're eternal. We're not going to be temporary. He has already planted that in our hearts. And so he says, you, when you're able to understand your eternity, what I've designed for you, then you're able to take care of the things that you have here on this earth because there's no way possible that I'm going to lead you astray. You move into action. He's already, he, he did his part. He planted eternity in our hearts. He's given us the free gift of eternity through Jesus Christ. He says, I've done all the difficult stuff. Now it's your turn to move into action. It's your faith in him. It will always be in him. I love the book. It's called Manning. And I'm not a Broncos fan, okay? I, I don't have a team. But uh, in, in Peyton Manning's book, some of you guys are Broncos fans, so you'll love this. And many of you guys may not have known this about Peyton Manning, but in his book, he writes this. For me, generally, it had always been the big four. Faith, family, friends, and football. As important as football is to me, it can never be higher than fourth. My faith has been number one since I was 13 years old. Some players get more vocal about it and some point to heaven after scoring a touchdown and praise God after games. I have no problem with that. I just don't do it. And I don't think it makes me any less a Christian. I just want my actions to speak louder and I don't want to be more of a target for criticism. My faith doesn't make me perfect. It makes me forgiven and provides me the assurance I looked for half my life ago. I've been blessed having so little go wrong in my life and being given so much, I pray every night, sometimes long prayers about a lot of things and a lot of people. But I don't talk about it or brag about it because that's between God and me. And I'm no better than anyone else in God's sight. 
But I consider myself fortunate to be able to go to him for guidance. And I hope and pray I don't do too many things that displease him. I believe, too, that life is much better and freer when you're committed to God in that way. He's talking about action. We got to take action and move into action. Romans 8.13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You put to death those things. It's almost like Peyton Manning was on to something with what Paul the Apostle says to the different churches. And what, what Paul the Apostle said to the churches, and especially in the church in Philippi, to the Philippians, Chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But he's not just talking about a physical death, but a dying to self that, that we may truly live. Because here's the courage. This is, this is what the, the courage that we need. This is what many of us miss. Galatians 2.20. And I want us to read this together with all the courage we have so that we understand this. We're going to read this together. Ready? Go. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live and died the death that you and I should have died. It's all about him. It's all because of what he did. You want the courage to truly live? Then go to the God who has all the courage in the world to take it to the cross and truly die. I want to close with this poem. It's from Marianne Williamson, and some of you know this. I love it. It's so inspirational. It says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond imagination. It is our light more than our darkness which scares us. We ask ourselves, who are we to be brilliant, beautiful, talented, and fabulous? But honestly, who are you not to be so? You are a child of God. Small games do not work in this world. For those around us to feel peace, it is not example to make ourselves small. We were born to express the glory of God that lives in us. It is not in some of us. It is in all of us. While we allow our light to shine, we unconsciously give permission for others to do the same. When we liberate ourselves from our own fears, simply our presence may liberate others. Our courage comes from Christ. Jesus said it like this, you let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then glorify me in heaven. Jesus would not say that if it were not possible. There's a life that he has designed for us. So truly, truly live that life. You pray with me, you bow your heads. Lord, it is with great joy that we we come before you, we ask you for the courage to live the life you had promised us. We battle with things every single day. The one thing we can rest assured is that our relationship with you is secured. 
It's secured because it's in you. It's all, it's all about you. It's always about you. Therefore, I know that, that our life with you is the most important relationship. I know that there are some this morning, you have not made that connection with God. Maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't know why I haven't given my life to Christ. Maybe I've been afraid of what my life would look like. Maybe I, I'm cautious. Maybe I've been hurt, whatever it would be. But maybe God is saying, just think eternal. Think eternal. The one decision you make today to follow me will be the best decision for eternity. And maybe your first step is just to say, God, I, I give you my life. And if that's you and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want to have this relationship with God because I want to truly live my life. But I need his forgiveness. If that's you, could you just lift a hand real briefly and you're just saying, I, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to give him my heart. I want to give it to him. Good. Anybody else? You're saying yes to Jesus Christ. I want to give him my heart. Okay, good. You can put your hands down. We can all say this prayer together, but especially those who are saying yes to Jesus Christ for the first time. Here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross that you died for my sins, that you raised from the grave, and that you gave me eternal life. I trust in you. I believe in you. I thank you for giving me a new life by design. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.